Today on Make Impact, we have Kedrin Crosby. Kedrin is the president of Work Wisdom, where the goal is to transform mindsets, behaviors, and communication for an optimal workplace performance. We are excited to have Kedrin on the show today as she shares her personal and professional wisdom on the positive impact of how shaping our behaviors can create a healthier world. From Make Films, you're listening to Make Impact, a podcast about creative problem solving and the leaders who are changing their industries for the better. Here's your host, filmmaker and entrepreneur, Derek Diener. Thank you, Kedrin, for joining me on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you and all things work wisdom and the amazing things that you guys are doing. Thank you. It's great being here. So I want to just jump in. You know, I, you're a fellow kind of Lancastrian now anyway. We'll get into your backstory a bit. But um, for some of our listeners who maybe don't know who you are, don't know work wisdom, I'm going to jump in with some of these rapid fire questions just so we can get to know you quickly. Let's do it. Cool? All right, that's good. Yep, cool. So first one is, uh, where were you born? Ooh, Findlay, Ohio. Okay. Okay. And were you raised there? Is that mostly where you spent your time? No, not really. My father was at a university there. And so he, we ended up moving to Cleveland, Ohio. So then I grew up in Shaker Heights, which is this really unusual suburb, the first intentionally integrated community in America. Really? Yeah. So I grew up in Shaker Heights and then uh, Lancaster General Hospital recruited my father. And so we, I ended up in Lancaster for middle school and high school then off to Baltimore. I was in Baltimore for maybe 12 years, had two babies one year apart, needed free babysitting back to Lancaster. The boomerang effect. Nice. That's great. That's great. Living, living the Lancaster dream there though, in a sense, you know, it's been great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I came back. Oh yeah. That's great. Um, okay. Well then, you know, in terms of some of those travel places that you've been, what is your favorite place to visit now? Mm, Ohio Pile. It's a state park in Western Pennsylvania. Okay. I know it doesn't sound very glamorous, <laughs> um, but there's a little cabin there. Uh, Sarah and I write there. It's just oh, a, that sounds amazing. Yeah. The Wi-Fi is terrible. So <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. As long as you don't need Google Docs, you're fine, right? So yes, uh, yeah, yeah. paper and pencil. Yeah. Nice. And then um, last rapid fire question is what's an interesting fact that not a lot of people know about you? Oh, my gosh. I'm so transparent. I feel like everything is out there. Oh, um, well, I really I really love doing YouTube dance videos. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So there's one right now that's with Taylor Swift's new album. Okay. Very embarrassing, but not <laughs> a lot of people know that that's how I spend my mornings. Oh, that's good. A little exercise kind of oh, mi- yeah. mixing with that. It's great. And nice. her new music is, is pretty great. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, we're, we're huge fans. I'm a huge, I should say I'm a huge fan as well. Taylor Swift. Uh, and, yeah. and the office. We, every time there's a new album, we're listening to it over here a lot. So okay. Well, the last two albums, amazing. Yes, I, will I agree. Send you, I will send you the YouTube. Okay. Link, and okay. you're going to be dancing. Yeah. With in the yeah morning. Sounds good. That sounds good. Get the blood pumping. Get it moving. You know, we we were just talking a little bit about how with with our meetings being so remote lately. Um, well, lately I should say since March. You know, a lot of meetings being for Zoom. It's a different kind of energy coming into meetings and Zoom meetings. Like so trying to encourage people who are leading Zoom calls to like bring the energy. Like I've been part of Zoom meetings where people are like playing music when it starts, bringing the energy up and kind of like getting the blood pumping a bit because it's like people are in the middle of so much now at home, changing the wash in between meetings sometimes and doing all these things. And it's like, 
let's focus in, let's get the energy up. And I think that, I mean, it's taken us 10 months to figure it out, but anyway, it's like, let's, let's start being intentional about that. Yeah. Well, you know, our, um, not to, not to do any plugs this early. And, no, that's fine. Um, but our second edition of Authentic Communication uh, yeah. comes out next week. Okay. And um, so we really, we really ramped up the number of remote communication tools yeah. in that edition, as well as equitable communication, disrupting yeah. bias in the workplace. So anyhow, so our, our, we're really focused on how do you make Zoom calls vibrant, that's cool. yeah. creative, energetic. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. great. And, and, you know, being in the, in the video business ourselves, it's like challenging ourselves to kind of listen to our own advice, you know, um, and to, and to do better with video, even if it's live, like, like, like this, you know, but, um, great. Well, Hey, jumping, jumping into work wisdom, I'd love to kind of give a little bit of overview to our viewers about what work wisdom is in your, in your words. And also if you can say, what are you trying to, um, impact with work wisdom? What kind of change you're trying to make in the world? Okay. Yeah. So work wisdom is a practice that focuses on positive organizational behavior. So uh, for listeners who don't know what that is, that means high performance mindsets, yeah. behaviors that turn into habits, uh, communication and culture. So that's everything we do. There are eight people on our team. Everyone's a subject matter expert in some space of positive organizational behavior. We have four divisions right now. We're adding a fifth in Q4 this year, but um, so we have Work Wisdom Press, which is where we write articles and books. We have Work Wisdom Productions, which is where we create animated shorts and mm -hmm. video and the podcast, The Behaviorist. Yep. Um, we have Work Wisdom Academy, which is, it's like grad school, but more fun. Um, we also have the Review Club as part of that. And then the fourth part is Work Wisdom consulting, which is mostly executive coaching and culture safe shaping around the country. So what, what are we trying to impact? What a yeah. great question. Um, we talk about winning aspirations using the work from playing to win by Martin and Lafley. Okay, so yeah. our winning aspiration for our company is we revolutionize achievement. So we go upstream to help world changers become more effective so that they can have greater impact. Okay. So we might not yeah. be doing the, the green architecture ourselves or ameliorating homelessness ourselves, but we're making those world changers more effective mm -hmm. through mindsets, behavior, culture, so they can do more good. So we're a B corporation because of that. Okay. Reason. No, I love that. I love that. Right. And yeah, and, and we work with you um, over the years here with, you know, I still remember the exercise you did with us as a group with kind of, understanding conflict and understanding how we communicate conflict and that conflict assessment that you did with our group. Um, that was pretty eye-opening as a team because I think as creatives and as, as um, I don't know, people that are constantly discussing creative things, we, we maybe thought we were better at conflict than what we were. It was like a discovery a bit and helped us to begin to talk about that more. Is that something that you find when you do these exercises with teams? Like, describe some of the things that you do and some of the discoveries that you make with teams when you're talking through with them. Sure, yeah. Well, um, what you're describing is psychological safety. So mm -hmm. we can have cultures where there's a great amount of psychological safety, where we can take risks, 
We yeah. can say things that are maybe a little outside of the box, but we feel accepted and respected. Yeah. So we're really interested in allowing cultures and environments where people can have conflict and it's healthy and it's yeah. cohesive. Um, so for creatives, originals, that's really important. Oh, so yeah. um, yes, that assessment was called the Thomas Kilman instrument. I discovered okay. that in grad school in the 90s um, and have used it for decades with my clients and teams. We were very much focused on emotional intelligence. It mm -hmm. undergirds everything we do at Work Wisdom. So we use the only psychometric tool that measures emotional intelligence. Okay. Um, we do that with individuals. We do it with teams. Um, most of our work over the last couple of years has to do with diagnosing current culture and naming aspired culture hmm. and tracking culture to your strategy and then shaping the culture in the direction of that strategy. So um, there's oh, a long right. list of things that we do, but it's all in the spirit of making high-performing leaders, teams, and cultures. A lot of you have probably heard of audible.com. Uh, I've used Audible for the past seven years. I've read over 80 books. I actually learned from a friend if I've been listening to books 30% faster. So I do the, use the 1.3 times faster and it's just a way to kind of get books faster with my efficiency brain. But it, it helps me, you know, it's amazing. I, I love to stay connected, informed uh, and inspired by audible.com. So you can sign up for your free 30 day trial of Audible Premium Plus at audibletrial.com slash make impact. That's audibletrial.com slash make impact. Happy listening. I think culture, company culture is such a, a term that's thrown around. It's kind of like in, in, in our world, it's storytelling and like these terms that, that are, that are, mean something, but they, you know, authenticity be, is, is no longer authentic because everybody uses it to throw around for anything. Sometimes, I'm not saying that all the time. Uh, and I feel like for us too, with like the storytelling element and like visual storytelling, they can be buzzwords now, but um, in terms of the word culture and company culture, can you define that? Yeah, this is what I do all day, every day. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, I can talk about it forever. Yeah. Um, so it's really, what are our deeply held beliefs that guide our behavior? So what's below the waterline, mm -hmm. our norms, our traditions, our perception of our identity um, that make us decide to go left rather than right. And so we have through the research found about 15 concrete ways that you can shape a behavior. Mm. One that you just really referred to is uh, identity casting, mm. um, you know, understanding who we are and okay, then yeah. living into that. So uh, yeah. it's orthopraxy instead of orthodoxy, this mm. idea that we live into this version of ourselves through behavior. Um, and we use archetypes. I know people in your field also use archetypes. Yeah, they yep. might use them in similar or maybe a little bit dissimilar ways. Yeah. So then if, if somebody is listening and they say, you know, I'm I'm a leader at my company or I am. I'm maybe not even a leader and I'm, I'm frustrated with the company culture. I, I, I want to change it or I want to involve, or maybe you're they're, they're the founder or something. What kind of advice can you give to somebody that's, that's starting to dive into their company culture and how they can, I know that it's super complex, but is there any kind of quick hits that you can, that you yeah. can share? Yeah. I mean, the, the ones that I think are, you know, if you're just thin slicing this, think, thinking about um, diagnosing who are we now um, mm. and being really, 
reality tested mm. on that. So we, of course, use diagnostics that we've created ourselves. Um, some that we've we've been have been informed by the work of Dr. Amy Edmondson, the mother of psychological safety. Mm. Um, so we we rely heavily on our own diagnostics, um, and we we usually use one of two frameworks with companies: either the competing values framework which was uh, crafted by Kim Cameron and Robert Quinn, positive organizational behaviorists yeah. that look at who are we as a culture? Are we hierarchical? Are we family culture? Are we market mm. culture? Or are mm. we adhocracy? Understanding who we are and then how to move to the, the more optimal culture. Yeah. There's another framework that we use uh, without geeking out too much. <laughs> it's good. Boris Groisberg, you can cut this part, Darren. No, this is great. Um, this oh, is, is it? Very, okay. Oh, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's our life's work. So we, yeah. um, but Boris Groisberg came out with a fabulous framework a few years ago, basically saying there are eight types of culture. Hmm. And he went so far as to understand which type of culture is optimal in which type of industry. Okay, that's interesting. And so yeah. you can, you know, through evidence, you can decide, you know what, actually we are, we're a purpose culture, but we want to shift to a learning culture. Hmm. And as a leader, what do I do to shift my team, my thinking, my company, uh, the perception of my company in that direction? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are some of the things that we do like all day, every day. Yeah. Well, no, I think self-awareness and self-discovery, it always seems to be kind of the center of everything that you guys do from my perspective, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So it yeah. starts with self-knowledge, which trickles down into self-awareness. Mm. In self-awareness, you use that intelligence to change your behavior. So it's that moment when you say, oh gosh, wow, right. I'm about to do that thing again. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> I could go left instead of right. Yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. That's the name of the game. Oh, that's great. And, and okay, so I just have a random question slash thought for you. If, okay, so I'm, I would classify myself as an optimist, um, somebody who's constantly, uh, you know, thinking that things are going to work out, positive, positivity, all those types of things. Um, but I've been reading a lot. I think as I get older, the more that I read, I feel like in my, in my 20s, I was like, I'm an optimist and I don't care what that means. I'm, I'm going for it. And then the more that I learn about it, sometimes there's all these these conflicting kind of thoughts about, well, I saw a study about optimists die younger because they're, they, they don't really uh, see the next steps. Sometimes they just kind of go for it and then it becomes a challenge later on or, or just different things about optimism. And then, I don't know, all, all that to say, I was curious of this, these terms that we throw around now with like optimism and pessimism or realist or these types of characteristics that we put on ourselves, are those terms that you guys uh, agree with and, and, and kind of champion? Or is it something that uh, it's like what I feel like when people are creative, like we're all creative, but for whatever reason, sometimes when you're five, you feel like you're creative or you're not creative and that lives with you for the rest of, you know, for, for a long time. Is that how optimism and pessimism work? I don't know if you understand my question, but I'm just going to throw it back at you and see if you can <laughs> respond. I think I, get, I think I get it and I think I have an answer. So Optimism is one of the 15 measurable skills in emotional intelligence. Right. So if you took the EQ, I could tell you 
to what degree you have optimism on heavy rotation, mm. if you're optimistic or pessimistic. Okay. Um, what we believe is we have to understand, is this serving us mm. or is this costing us? So I would come back to you and I would say, Derek, you know, yeah, you're 130, you're off the charts with your optimism. How has that served you? Yeah. When has it cost you? Let's dig into where it's costing you and then recalibrate. Hmm. So it's situational. So I think we don't want to lose the gift of optimism where yeah. it's really serving you. Yes. But if it's costing you, like, you know, motorcycles, no helmets, yeah, going yeah, to yeah. LA, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's exactly. in the middle of COVID, yeah. I would say, let's recalibrate that. Yeah. And, and that's really how we become emotionally intelligent. I love that. No, I love that. And I feel like that's what I've kind of come to as well, that realization. Maybe you articulated it a lot better than what it's in my brain. And then also, when we're, as we're a growing team, there are people here that are bringing different levels of optimism. And, you know, pessimism has become such a t uh, bad word in a way. But they do bring some of these kind of uh, realist moments to my optimism that balances it out, which is very good in, in those yeah. moments, you know. It's why um, we have teams. Yeah, yeah. It's, It rounds off the edges, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And um, so usually with high optimists, we encourage them to think about um, reality testing, hmm. using data, yeah. using a sounding board, having friends that have high reality testing, yeah. checking in with them, that that's you good. Know, personal board of directors. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, you know, the reason why I started this podcast is really to, to talk to people about um, you know, the impact that we can all have in this world. I think everybody is capable of making an impact and you don't have to be a leader or a founder or, you know, you can be anybody within any organization. But I, I am interested to hear from you um, framing, making an impact around kind of um, teams. Okay, so as I've been growing Make Films, I'm realizing that we can do so much more as a team than I did on my own, you know? and. I've had to learn a lot about how to interact with the team, how to be a better leader. There's so many things that I've had to learn the last like couple of years as we've kind of accelerated our growth. But I'm curious to, to hear from you, if someone's listening again and, and they're part of a team that maybe has some dysfunction or maybe is doing well, but they want it to do better, what are some things they can think about when interacting with other team members, even if they're not leading it, and how to be a better team member or a better leader of a team? Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, I love that. And yeah. I feel like that's part of the evolution of leadership that mm. we get to a place where we realize we need to, um, we need to scale and we need to harness the collective brilliance yeah. of a group, group of people rather than just try and do it on our own. Um, what we encourage groups of people who are coming together to make greater impact to do is to think about how do we empower each other. So yeah. there are five characteristics of uh, truly empowered teams. Mm -hmm. Really um, starting to live into those is where we begin. So okay. understanding um, how we need to fit together so that we can scale, so that the sum of the parts is greater than the individual pieces. So that really does have to do with um, operating efficiencies, understanding what is my highest and best use, what is your highest and best use, hmm. and how do we all get to that zone where we're living into our highest and best use, 
clarity of yeah. roles and responsibilities. Um, you know, clear is kind. Um, how yeah. do we talk to each other to inspire each other? Uh, there, are, there are a whole set of things without putting my Professor Crosby hat on. <laughs> no, but those are good. Those, those are actionable things, I feel mm -hmm. like. Yeah, I think if somebody's listening, they can take a couple of those nuggets and, and look at their team to say, hey, is every yeah is everybody operating within their, their greatest gifting? And is that, am I contributing in that way? And how do I adjust now? Like if I feel like I'm not, how do I adjust? Also, the other side of it is that how do I adjust without making it feel like I don't want to do the work that I'm doing or that I am lazy? And I think that's a trust thing too with your team, potentially. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you can, trust, if you know what I mean. Trust is huge. Yeah, trust yeah. is definitely one of the five characteristics of empowered teams. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a lot, we can talk about trust for days, <laughs> but I, I think uh, I think you're onto something. I think those of us who have been um, sort of steeped in servant leadership sometimes have a little bit of a challenge when we're thinking about operating efficiencies. Yes. And how do we live into that highest and best use when we feel like we've been raised that we should be washing the dishes and mopping yeah, yeah. the floor yeah. too. Yeah. So um, I, I used to work in community health. You know, we would never have a dentist cleaning teeth because in order to scale impact, that's yeah. not serving us. Yeah. So it's it's a bit of a mindset. Um, it may be unlearning some of what we've learned. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think the servant leadership piece is still huge, even though you're not doing maybe some of the things that you used to do and, and your roles changed or whatever, but still keeping that attitude, still doing, still being willing to kind of, whatever that new role is, do the tough tasks that like, I don't know, I still think servant leadership, as you're saying, it's just, it's just an adjustment. It's an adjustment. Um, and everybody around you, I think, you know, one thing that I have to say, too, in terms of like, if, if you look at, or, or, I know you have before, look at our, our organization, my brother Aaron's worked with me um, almost like since I started. I mean, I've started 13, 14, year, 14 years ago, and he came on board 12 years ago. And he's been with me every step of the way. It was basically employee number two, besides my, my wife, who kind of scaled with it, too. And, and it's like, he's had to change and adjust every time that we hire new people that are taking things from my role and his role. You know, he's had to change as much as I have, even though he's in a different role every step of the way. And when I observe that, I'm not sure why I'm using the example here, other than the fact that um, it's, I look back and I'm very proud and thankful to have both of us have that ability to change over the course of that many years, because what we were both doing 12 years ago is like opposite of what we're both doing now. And we both adjusted and every step of the way had to learn what that new role means for both of us and how we adjust. We used to be together all the time and now I see him a couple times a week, you know? So it, it's, it's kind of, um, it could have been really bad is what I'm saying. It could have been really bad. Yeah, my guess is you two have um, two things that have made that agility really work. One is you both have a clear eye on what the goal is, what winning is, yeah, or yeah. make films. And so it's okay if you're doing this or this or this or this or this, because you're all sort of rowing in that direction. Yeah, yeah. The second piece is you probably have really deep trust and the ability mm. to talk about when you're losing trust. Yeah. Brothers can do this, right? Yeah. So um, trust has three drivers, authenticity. Are you being authentic with each other? Mm -hmm. Are you, uh, do you have good judgment or logic? And then the third part is empathy. So yeah. if any of those three 
drivers start to wobble, <laughs> you would check in with each other and yeah. you would be like, dude, that didn't feel good. Yeah. You know, or you're not being real. Oh, yeah. We've had or, that. your logic stinks, you know, whatever that is. And then you would work to stabilize. Yeah. That so no, that's every good. Team, every team needs to understand those drivers and have the kind of psychological safety to say, dude yeah <laughs> that exactly feel so good yeah yeah and and that's that we've had many of those conversations over the years which has been great and he's to your earlier point of that kind of some of the sounding board things and the optimism sounding board him and him and my wife have been that over the years uh as as we've taken those steps because it's you know am i driving us off a cliff or am i driving us to the next highway you know yeah. so well, and that's that logic wobble you know so i would say there's a funny video of me and sarah maybe a week and a half into covid where okay. we're we did this video for our clients and we're like it's going to be a really hard week yeah. but we're going to get through it oh, we yeah. got zoom we can do this and what an optimism wobble, you know? So uh, we had Nobody to- Nobody would have known. Nobody would have known. Week, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Is that your new saying? That's your new, yeah, it's been yeah. a hard week. What a yeah. hard week this year has been. Oh my God. That's, and you know, it, it looking back, like it, it feels like that. Like it, 2020 feels like so fast and so slow. It's very bizarre. Yeah. 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 Um, well, as, as we wrap up, I would love to just ask you just uh, one or two more questions. Thanks for taking this journey with me. I, I used my company as example a lot, which I hope you were fine with, but I appreciate the insights along the way. I think our listeners hopefully will take some things away. But finishing off, I feel like I, I can't talk to you without asking a question about mindfulness in some way, because I feel like every time we have discussions, it always seems to come up in some way about that between self-awareness or now self-knowledge, which, which I, I kind of understand as a step before that. But the mindfulness piece, I think, all comes together with that. And mindfulness is also another buzzword, uh, if we want to say that, like, um, like culture or like storytelling. But um, I'd love to hear your insights on mindfulness. What do you, how, do you, what do you, how do you feel that helps you as a person, and how do you feel that can help other people and other organizations? Mm. I, I don't know that we can get to the best version of ourselves without yeah. it. Yeah. Is what yeah. I really think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. I, I don't think we can get to optimal performance. We can't, you know, maximize our, our purpose on the planet without yeah. contemplation, reflection, mindfulness, arose by any other name. It's still mm. arose, right? So. Yes whether it's Peter Drucker or David Gellis or Richard Rohr or whomever it is, I think all of it belongs. Um, and I think that high-performing leaders, teammates, mothers, fathers, spouses really should think about what is a practice that they can adopt where they spend 20 minutes a day um, in solitude, working to look in, inward. And so I, I value whether it's, you know, whatever the practice is, whatever the, you know, it may be a spiritual practice. It may be something that's not at all spiritual. I think spending some time inward, uh, mm -hmm. it might be journaling. For some people, it might be walking. Um, for some people, it might be the rosary or, you know, Buddhist meditation. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that inside, when we are doing contemplation, we can see things, patterns that we don't see if we're yeah. going 110 miles an hour and we can see gifts that others have. 
and we can see our own uh, propensity for good or for maybe not so great. And yeah. uh, we can course correct with gentleness. That's great. No, I appreciate that. I think that 20 minutes a day piece is very important. That's a great place to kind of start and to, to begin those exercises. What, like you said, whether it's prayer or spiritual things, or it's more inward meditation, um, super important to kind of hear that, hear your voice there. We also are big fans of the examine, um, this idea of just looking at, at what has been life giving today and what has been life draining yeah. and how tomorrow will I move in the direction of what's life giving. Mm. So, um, it's Ignatian spirituality, but it works for anybody. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't have to be a Jesuit to practice. Yeah, yeah. So there are so many ways to, to tap into that, uh, success. And I, I, I would just encourage people to investigate whatever works for them yeah. and then experiment with it. And then, and then, enjoy uh, what comes from it and uh, maybe even do a little bit more, more and more and more. Yeah. You, I know, I, I know I'm not supposed to ask you the questions, but okay. I'm usually the podcast, uh, <laughs> yeah. podcast host myself. So do you have a practice right now that's some sort of contemplation or reflection? Yeah. Yeah. Mornings for me are, um, are that. So I, I do a lot of journaling every morning and, and most of the time, um, if I, you know, journaling in prayer as a Christian, as kind of my spiritual belief is really important to me and kind of in my guiding way. So for me, that centers me. Like I, I definitely can tell if I have a, a day where I'm rushed and I don't, I don't get to that. Like, it's like it's, our meds, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, we're it's, off our meds if we don't do our morning practice. It's yeah. crazy. And then I and then I've thrown kind of exercise. I'm still working on getting exercise into that same thing cuz when I when I throw exercise into that mixture it's like my day is just starting off incredibly exercise and healthy eating too, kind of those types of things. Um, all those things kind of come together, but it really kind of for me is is journaling and prayer and you know, start off for me, I, I start off with journaling and it's kind of, and I, my journal is to God essentially is how, how my journal kind of plays out. Um, and so it's a combination, but that, yeah, it centers me completely, like you said. So it's that it's our centering point for the day. And when I do it less on weekends because weekends can be busy and I don't have as much of a structure in the morning, but then my weekends don't feel as good as my weekdays, which is weird. So I should, I should do that more every single day. Yeah, you know? seven days is seven days is a great number, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. Is. yeah, yeah, it is. I like all of those practices. I'm also I'm also really big on sleep. Oh yeah, no, <laughs> I do. Yeah, transformational. You know, it's it's you know it's it's honestly it's like it's not that complex to have your body being optimal. If we think about our bodies as, as machines, you know, it needs rest, it needs good nutrients, it needs good input, and then you have to be telling yourself good things. Negative self-talk is destructive to our bodies too. Yeah, so it it, it's like if you have a computer that you never clean out and you never shut it down or you never do these things, it's obvious to us the reason why it's not working right, you know, but to our bodies, we're like, why am I tired? You know, why am I always tired? Well, maybe you're getting four hours of sleep a night. Maybe that's not the thing, you know? And, yeah. there's, and so I personally, I need like minimum eight hours of sleep. I just have to have that. So mm -hmm. I'm unstoppable on 12. So well, yeah. someday, 
you get eight, I'll get 12. We'll create a new company together. Oh my goodness. I love It'll it. Be amazing. I, if I, you know, and, and you know, then you just, it's funny because when, when I was first, actually today is my wife and I's 14 year wedding anniversary, coincidentally. So thank you. Thank you. So like when we, when we first got married, like I was, you know, I got married super young. I was 21. It was like crazy. And I'm like a night owl, like a creative person, always up all the time. And slowly as we've gotten older with kids and all these things, we've switched to more morning people. And then now it's like our mornings are our hangout times together and our evenings, we just go to bed at 9, 9.30, you know? And then we wake up at 5.30 and then she works out, sometimes work out, not as good as she does. And we have our morning routine and, and, and you know, journaling different things. And then we like spend time together before the kids wake up. It just shifted, you know, but we're, yeah. but it's way better because the nights used to just be watching TV together or something or just doing whatever. And so now it's like more intentional and it's, I think it's, it's helped us tremendously as we've, you know, I don't know. Just, yeah. Powerful habits. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. The habits that, it's the habits that make a life. Oh yeah, exactly. And it's taken years to get to that point. I mean, if you talk to my parents, they would never have thought that I would ever be okay in the morning, you know, like I, I knew the attendance lady in high school by name because I was late to school all the time. Like that was just, uh, you know, my thing. But in any case, I'm, uh, I've changed a bunch and that's part of it. I, I heard a good quote that, that said we under, like we overestimate what we can do in the next month and underestimate what we can do in the next year. And it, that affected me a lot because there's so many times you have like, oh, you know, quick fix month goals or whatever, but then if you're slowly going for something for a year, a couple of years, it's amazing if you look back what you actually, what you actually did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love people come to us and they want to set really high goals um, on the outcome. And I really encourage people to focus on the process, the habits, yeah. um, the inputs, um, because if you're, if you're making the right habits, uh, this will come. The yeah. goal will come yeah. um, and there can be more joy in, in living in the present and thinking about the habit and thinking about how am I going to hone my habits, Definitely. Um, knowing that the outcome will come. We talk a lot about the inner circle and outer circle. So the inner circle is that which you can control. Okay. Yeah. The outer circle, that, that donut, you know, yeah. there's a lot of things in there that you cannot control. Yeah. The economy, COVID, oh, whatever yeah. the president might be yeah. doing. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> Political landscape is not yeah. all the things. Yeah, but that inner circle, you know, sleep, exercise, yeah. eating, contemplation, um, yeah. good relationships, all of that is in your inner circle. So we can that. go pretty far if we focus on our inner circle. I love that. Yeah. Well, hey, well, thank you for uh, talking to me today. I can listen to you uh, all the time. I, I'd love to, you Aww. know, we, every time we have these conversations, I always say we should do it again uh, sooner. Um, yeah, but, let's but, do it. Yeah, but hey, I'd love for our listeners to know, where can they hear you? What, tell, tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So our podcast is called The Behaviorist, and it's on Spotify and it's on iTunes. I think it's some other places too. Um, And so I think we have about 60 some episodes. We started maybe three years ago. It's all high performance mindsets, behavior, communication, culture. We talk a little bit about strategy sometimes. Um, And we have an interesting, uh, interesting guests that come on and we laugh a lot. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, I'll definitely, I'll put it in the notes here so people can click through to listen. But uh, thanks again for your time today. And uh, hey, enjoy your Wednesday. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Thanks. See ya. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make Impact. 
Follow our journey on Instagram at Make Impact Podcast. Make Impact is hosted by Derek Diener, written by Letitia Kreider, and produced by Letitia Kreider and Grace Wagner. Aaron Diener and Seth Bortner edit the episodes, and Lisbeth Byler is our marketing manager. Make Impact is brought to you by Make Films, a team of filmmakers producing meaningful content to inspire and motivate. Learn more at makefilms.cc. Until next time, be kind to one another and make an impact.